medical personnel, that they be kept healthy and that they be effective in their work. We pray also, Father, that our leadership would be wise and sensible and strike the right balance that we need. We pray also, Father, this morning for the needs of the saints. We pray for the needs of the saints and missionary organizations around the world and also here in our congregation, Lighthouse Bible Church. And we thank you, Father, that um, we're a- we were able to continue to broadcast messages and uh, we're going to continue to do so. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as you know, every month we have a missionary organization that we sponsor. And this month it's been Village Ministries International. They're based out of Yukon, Oklahoma. They're a non-denominational Christian ministry. They uh, take the gospel and the word of God to remote areas that aren't easily exposed to missionary activity. I want to show you a little bit. This is a map, if I can get there. This is a map of the world, actually. And I'm going to show you some of the places where Village Ministries International has worked. They've worked in India, Nigeria. See, I had a little fun with this. Although I'd say that, and no, it doesn't work. There it is. Pakistan, so India, Nigeria, Pakistan, Central America, Indonesia, and even Mongolia. So please keep them in prayer, support them financially if you're able to do so. I want to read just a brief story today that um, received from their website, actually an email, about a, young, about a woman by the name of Ruth. Don't know exactly where she lives, but she has this to say. She, she was just so happy that she received a Bible from Village Ministries. She said she, when she got it, she gathered all her neighbors, especially new converts, people that didn't have Bibles themselves. And she was privileged to be the first in her village to own a Bible. And she read from the Bible and everyone sat around eagerly waiting for their turn to at least read one portion of the scripture. She thanks all of those associated with VMI for blessing her and being a blessing to others. Now, last year, Village Ministries placed Bibles in 14 different languages into the hands of over 40,000 believers who did not have a Bible of their own. So again, please be generous in your prayer life and in your financial support for Village Ministries International. Another announcement before we get started today. On behalf of the entire congregation, I would like to extend our deepest thanks to Steve Pomeroy, who uh, stood in the gap, taught, made sure you guys were fed during my recovery from my surgery. And uh, if everyone were here, I know this would be happening. So, I'm just going to say, let's applaud him. I know you can't hear it, but he deserves it. And please keep him in your prayers. And if you get a chance to, when we're back face to face or any way that you can, please um, express our gratitude as well. All righty. Today's message is going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're done with chapter 14 now. And today's title is The Gospel. The Gospel. Something that Paul says he gave the Corinthians as a matter of first importance. And it's a matter of first importance for every Christian, in fact, every person in the world. And today we're going to see what Paul writes, what the Holy Spirit inspired at the beginning of chapter 15 of the book of 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to turn to chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1, where we'll begin today. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, by which also you received, 
in which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if indeed you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter the Apostle, then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain alive until now, though some have fallen asleep, some have died, at the time that Paul writes. And then he appeared to James, that's the half-brother of the Lord, who became the leading figure in the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and then to all the apostles. That's, that's beyond the twelve, by the way. There are other men that are called apostles. For example, Barnabas is called an apostle in the book of Acts. So all the apostles he appeared to. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul, also. As I've already mentioned, we've now finished our study of spiritual gifts. That was in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the letter of 1 Corinthians. And now here we are in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is the climax of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. As a matter of fact, we'll hopefully develop this as we go through the chapter, but it resolves all the conflicts, all the bad behavior that we've seen earlier in this letter. If you think about it, there was a lot of that. There was incest, there was um, worshiping, or at least eating meat sacrificed to idols. There were conflicts, there were rivalries. And he brings us all to chapter 15 as a resolution to all of that. And we're going to see how that is. And we can all take that lesson to heart as we continue our lives walking by means of the Spirit. Now the central thing about chapter 15 is the resurrection of the body. That's a general principle. He's going to start with the resurrection of Christ. But he's going to move to the resurrection body, the resurrection of the dead bodies of all believers. And we'll see that was that's the problem that he needs to deal with in chapter 15. We'll see more of that. But you and I and all the saints will one day be resurrected from the dead. We'll have a body just like Jesus in all his glory. And it'll start with the people who've already died at that on that day. And that's so with that in mind, at the end of chapter 15, it reaches its highest point with an incredible description of the rapture, the exit resurrection of the church, the bodily resurrection of the church. That's in verses 50 to 57. We'll get there before too long. Chapter 15, the focus is the resurrection of the body. It begins, of course, we've seen this, with the resurrection of Christ. That's where it all begins. Everything about being a Christian begins with the message of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Everything else kind of proceeds from that. All of our blessings proceed from that. The forgiveness of sins proceeds from that. Our adoption as sons and daughters proceeds from that. Receiving eternal life, being justified. Everything else about what it means to be a Christian proceeds from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here in particular, because he's dealing with the issue of the resurrection of the body, which was denied, we'll see that, by some in the assembly of Corinth, he really begins and emphasizes the resurrection of Christ. Because our bodies, resurrection of our bodies are irrevocably linked to his resurrection. Matter of fact, what are we called? We are called the body of Christ. And that's a, that is a living 
breathing reality. So Paul is going to have a defense of the resurrection of the body. He's going to anchor it on the solid rock of the gospel. He's going to take the foundation truth of the death and resurrection of Christ. And he's going to build his argument piece by piece on top of that. And again, in this chapter, the emphasis will be on the resurrection. The resurrection. Now, it's interesting. Paul didn't start this chapter with that formula we've been seeing a lot in previous chapters, at least after chapter 7, now concerning. Remember, he used that to, to, to mark out this is a question that the congregation had asked him in the letter they sent. He doesn't have that here. So it's likely that what happened was he heard a report about whatever's going on concerning the resurrection from visitors who had recently arrived to Paul from Corinth. Make no mistake, there is definitely a problem here. And, but unlike the previous ones that we've seen in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's not a problem of behavior. It's not a problem of behavior. It will lead to some issues, but it's not in and of itself a problem of behavior. Rather, it's the problem of wrong thinking, wrong belief. See, see that's where it all begins, how you think. What you believe is critical. We're going to see that what you believe makes a life and death difference, even, even, now get this, if you receive the gospel message. Okay, the question therefore then becomes, what message did you believe? Okay, so we'll see that in a minute. All right, so the problem that, that Paul is dealing with in chapter 15, we find described in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. If you could go there now, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. I believe you're in verse 8, so that should be right down the corner. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Notice that phrase, how do some among you? There were those in Corinth who were saying, there's no resurrection of the dead. Dead bodies aren't going to come back to life. In fact, in fact, for those who are the most cultured, that was a, that was just a, um, that just mortified them that idea that uh, come on these dead bodies are going to rise you know they saw the zombies and all of that um, they thought they were too sophisticated for anything like that they were too spiritual for something like that so again some members of the assembly were saying that there was no bodily resurrection of the dead now chapter fifteen begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ I'm going to emphasize this. What's the gospel of Christ? <laughs> we saw it already in verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins, was buried, that's proof that he died, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And as we'll see, many witnesses to his resurrected body, to him in a resurrection body, confirm the fact that he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel. This is the truth. Paul, by the way, in this chapter is going to present overwhelming evidence overwhelming evidence, especially for those people at that time and with Paul there with them in the flesh. Overwhelming evidence that Christ was raised from the dead. So let's go back and begin in verses 1 to 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul makes known the gospel which he preached. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which I preached to you, which also you received... He knew they heard it, in which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. What's of first importance in the Bible? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What's of first importance in the lives of any human being? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What remains of first importance to you and I as believers in Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ. To anchor our own lives and to preach that gospel to the unbeliever. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He's reminding them and us about the contents of the gospel message. You know, that is something that we get reminded about just about every time we gather together. It's fine, because it's of first importance. Everything else is anchored in that message. Now, Paul had already preached it to them, and they had received it from him. But please notice this carefully. Receiving is not the same thing as believing. Receiving is is not the same thing as believing. You can receive a message, and then you can reject it. You can hear, you can get a message that says, you know, your father's coming in two weeks, and you reject it. I don't think he really is. So receiving is not the same thing as believing. But here's the thing. The gospel message is the message that we stand on as Christians. We all stand on that. And so... That is the facts that he's laying out here in chapter 13, chapter 15, rather. We stand on the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. That's why he says, you received it, in which you also stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. What did he preach to them? The real gospel, unless you believe in vain. I'm going to repeat this again. What are we standing on as Christians? We're standing on the fact, a fact, we're going to see more about this, that Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. We bear our sins no more. He is alive, by the way, that verb for was, was raised is in something called the perfect tense. It means an event that happened that has results that go on forever. He's alive. We who are believers in him have his life now, eternal life. It's this message that saves us if we believe it. In addition to receiving it, anyone who is a believer possesses it. They hold it, as he says here. Now, I want want you to think of something that's um, very familiar, hopefully, to most of us as Americans, and that's the Declaration of Independence. But how does it begin? It begins this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident. What does that mean? It means we're convinced that they're self-evident. We believe that they're self-evident. When he says to hold fast or to hold, he's saying that we believe it. That's what it means to hold something fast. To, here, anyway, in, in the context of the message. The, the emphasis, again, I'm going to keep saying this, is on Paul's gospel message. Why do I say that? Because there were a lot of competing so-called gospel messages. And Paul writes about this in several places. He's going to talk about it in Second Corinthians. We're going to see today that he has to address this issue with the Galatians. So it's the message that Paul preached to them, as opposed to another one, a different gospel, a distorted gospel, a gospel that's contrary to the gospel that Paul preached. He's very specific about it. He's not being arrogant. He wants to be clear that the exact message that he had preached earlier 
is the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Any deviation from that, if you believe anything that's a deviation from that, you have believed in vain. We'll see more of this. Notice in verse 2 that the holding fast is equated with believing. It's equal to the same thing. Notice that he says in verse 2, by which you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless, you see, you believe in vain. Holding fast, believing the truth of the gospel. Believing in vain is something else. But notice the connection between holding fast and believing. Paul presumes here that they didn't believe in vain. And that's, that gets into the Greek, and I'm not going to show you that. Um, but he, he, he was presuming, um, confidently presuming, that they, didn't, they did not believe in vain, at least most of them. Notice he says, he says that, well, we saw that already in verse 12, some among you in the assembly, okay? He words that in such a way that it's not even clear whether that's those people who are basically denying the bodily resurrection of the dead. Not even sure they're believers. We don't know. They, they could be. But it's clear in the Greek here that the better translation here is seeing that you hold on to the message that I, Paul, preached. But what does believing in, there it is, seeing that you hold on to the message that Paul preached. So what does it mean, though, to believe in vain? This causes people a lot of trouble. What is believing in vain? What does it mean? Well, don't get the wrong idea that a lot of people get, that a lot of pastors teach, actually. You see, it it does not mean that they could believe in the wrong way. You know, that maybe it was a half-hearted belief. Or that it was a head belief rather than a heart belief. Or maybe that they they were not wholeheartedly paying attention. Or all the different things. Or that they, they, they weren't really serious about their commitment. All these different things. It doesn't mean that. Okay? Now, how can we determine what it does mean? Well, I think you've been taught this so many times, right? Those of you that have been a part of this ministry for some time. You check out the neighborhood. In other words, you look at what's around the passage in question, okay? For this, we're going to go forward now to verse 13. What does it mean to have faith that's in vain? Look at chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, if we are not going to be raised from the dead in a body, not even Christ has been raised. In other words, if human beings can't be raised from the dead, Christ died in his humanity, therefore he hasn't been raised. Now, if that's true, if Christ has not been raised, notice, our preaching's in vain. In other words, Paul just hanging up, go and have have some fun back in uh, Antioch, because it doesn't matter. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, there is no Christianity. And he understood that. And I think they did too, but they didn't make the connections. He's making the connection between the bodily resurrection of the dead, us, and Christ's resurrection. He says they're irrevocably tied to each other. You can't believe one without the other. Why? Because if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, Paul's preaching is in vain. But notice what else he says. Your faith also is vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? It means not to believe that Christ has been raised from the dead. It's that simple. He says it again. He says, now we'll keep reading in verse 15. Moreover, we are even to be found false witnesses of God. Think of it. 
Why? Because we're telling you, we're testifying against God. If he didn't erase Christ and we're saying that he did, then we're testifying against God. We're saying something that's not true about God. If Again, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, he's talking about all believers now. As a matter of fact, I won't get into this, but Daniel tells us that both believers and unbelievers, Jesus says the same thing in the Gospel of John, but here he's focused on believers. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here he goes, your faith is worthless, vain, empty, of no importance. You're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven of anything. So very simply then, make sure you're clear on this, to believe in vain is to believe a gospel that excludes the fact that Christ was raised from the dead in a human body. Let me say that again. To believe in vain is to believe a gospel that excludes the fact that Christ was raised from the dead in a human body. Notice very particularly that's worded. Okay, there's a gospel, but it's another gospel. It's contrary to the message Paul preached. Why? Because it excludes the fact that Christ was raised from the dead in a human body. So they were willing to have some kind of spiritual understanding of it, that Christ you know, was spiritually raised. We're going to see how effectively, though, Luke deals with this. Because Luke, by the way, that gospel is all about the humanity of Christ in any event, but, but makes it distinctive from the others. Okay, so now with this in mind, let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. In time we have remaining. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Give you a moment to get there. Again, I mentioned this already, but Paul had to deal with the, the same issue of a different gospel, contrary to what he preached uh, with the Galatians. Verse 6, chapter 1. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. No, there's only one. Only there are some who are disturbing you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul and Barnabas, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's strong language. It's happening today. There are people who are preaching a gospel contrary to the one that Paul preaches here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we've said before, we say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received from Paul earlier, he is to be accursed. Let's keep going, though, verses 10 to 12, because it'll explain something that we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Three, our main passage. Look at Galatians 1.10 now. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? Is there something in it for me? Am I, the other men going to look at what I'm doing and either give their approval or not? He says, listen, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. I wouldn't be a slave of Christ. I wouldn't have gone through everything I'm going through if my only motive was to please men. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, notice this, is not according to man. He didn't get it from another man. He wasn't taught it from another man. He didn't receive it from Paul, I mean from Peter, or any other apostle. Why? I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this gospel that Paul preaches, he received it, whoops, he received it directly from Jesus Christ. 
Jesus reveals it to him directly. Let's go back now to 1 Corinthians 15, the time we have remaining. Looks like we have about 10 minutes. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received directly from Christ, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Notice he includes himself. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. This is the gospel of our salvation. I'm going to keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it so it's crystal clear. Because it won't be crystal clear when you get out there in the world. You'll hear competing messages. You'll see things that sound attractive. You'll see things on television. You may see somebody who's preaching in another church. But if it's not the gospel that is here in verses 3 and 4, flee from it. Okay. As a matter of fact, Paul uses really strong language, right? He is to be accursed. I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. That's the message of the gospel. This is the message that you and I are to proclaim as good news. That Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. When a person hears that message, and that message alone, and believes it, that person is saved and receives eternal life. God in his word, by the way, tells us that Christ's resurrection was a bodily resurrection. He was raised from the dead in a body, in a human body. Yes, it was a resurrection body, but it was a human body. He wasn't just a spirit or a ghost. We're going to see that. By the way, he appeared to his disciples in a human body. They recognized him. He ate with them. They touched him. Christ was buried. It means that he really died. And the fact that he appeared to people, like we're going to see, proves that he was really raised from the dead. By the way, I just want to briefly mention the phrase, according to the scriptures. These are the Old Testament scriptures. We don't know exactly what they are. But we are told that, in the, that Jesus said his disciples, to his disciples that the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets all spoke of his coming death and resurrection as the Messiah. Please look at Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Luke 24, 36. Give you a moment to get there. According to the scriptures. I know you're wondering... You may be wondering, well, which ones in particular? He doesn't tell us. It's just something we just have to... I'll get into that in a minute. Luke 24, verse 36. While they were telling these things, these are the disciples in the upper room, he himself stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, noticed this, and thought they were seeing a spirit, a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. He was raised in a body. That it is I, myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. This is a real body, guys. When he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. Why? Because that's where he was nailed to the cross. Well, they still could not believe it because of the joy and amazement. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Jesus is a man after my own heart. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them, and he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, before he died. And all things which are written about me, notice this, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, 
and the Psalms, things were written about Christ as the Messiah in the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, Isaiah, and so forth, and the Psalms, all of that was, had, was written about Jesus, must be fulfilled. And you open their minds, what a glorious moment this must have been, to understand the Scriptures, the Old Testament. And he said to them, thus it is written, Old Testament, and notice this, that Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And again, if you're wondering what scriptures in particular he was talking about here, they talk about the Messiah dying and being raised again on the third day. Well, that's, that's a whole different subject. There have been book after book written about the Messiah in the Old Testament. All I'm going to tell you is that there are many what are called Messianic Psalms that point forward to Jesus the Messiah. There are lots of material in the writings of the prophets. I'll point out Isaiah and Zechariah in particular. All right, let's go back and close tonight now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Verse 6, and on back over there. Okay, so he appears to, to Peter and the twelve, and then Paul continues. More witnesses, different kinds, different places, different people. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom, if they, if they were here today, they couldn't gather together because of the COVID rules say you can only be, what, 25, whatever it is. But there were, there were 500 of them at one time. Most were still alive. Some have died. Then he appeared to James, his half-brother, then all the apostles. And then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. You see, here in chapter 15, he presents the gospel, but he's emphasizing the resurrection of Christ. And it says here that he appeared to many witnesses in his resurrection body. Many. Some were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And last of all, Paul turns to himself. He says, you know what? The resident Christ has appeared to me too. In other words, standing in their midst. Well, he was writing the letter, but they knew him. He's, he's telling you he's a witness himself. Paul himself was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Christ was raised from the dead. And so you know what this means? It means something really simple but really powerful. And that's this. The resurrection of Christ is a fact. It happened in history. We know when it happened. It's well documented. The Bible gives a very detailed account where he was risen from the dead. That empty tomb, known by the people in Jerusalem, and when it happened on that third day, and how it happened. There's a great description of how it happened um, with the angels and so forth. All of that's known. You know, it's not like, but the key thing too is that it's historic. It's not some, you know, myth in the mist that people have come up with. This is a fact. It's a historic fact. Matter of fact, there's more proof that Christ rose from the dead than there is proof of any other event in ancient times, no matter what you want to come up with. All right, so as we close today, I just want to briefly touch on something. It's topical. It's current events. Um, it, we're going we're gonna to go to the back of the chapter, the very last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, because believe it or not, it speaks to this present crisis that we're facing. By the way, this was uh, this is a picture that was uh, posted on uh, Ed, Ed Collins' website. He has a good article on uh, what kinds of people are freaking out at this time. Um, but in any event... They are. There's a lot of that going on. And I know that there's a lot of unsettled souls, even among Christians, and I want to deal with that briefly right now. 
All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Here's the message, okay? Do not waste your time with conspiracy theories and the like. Bill Gates is not the Antichrist. We are not going to have to decide whether or not to take the mark of the beast, some microchip embedded under our skin. Why? Well, Thursday Bible study, we studied the end times in great detail. And we saw that believers in Christ, members of the body of Christ, we're going to be long gone before the Antichrist appears on the earth. But, you know, in addition to that, you know what the worst part of this is when we're just studying all these things and we're wondering who's behind all of this and what's going to happen? All of that endless fascination with all those things going on in the world, it takes our mind off Christ. And we're not supposed to do that. Does the Bible say, whatever things are scary, whatever things are evil, whatever things condemn others, think on these things. Is that what the Bible says? I know you know it doesn't. It says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. My brothers and sisters, we've been raised up with Christ. Keep your mind up there. Keep seeking those things above where Christ is. Don't have your mind on the things of the earth. As a matter of fact, you've died to the earth. The world system, anyway. Your life is is hidden with Christ. And someday he's going to be revealed. He is our life. And when he is revealed, we're going to be revealed with him in glory in the resurrection body, which is the subject of chapter 15. All right, let's close in prayer. And I'll give you a couple of announcements, reminders as we leave today. I can find them. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion in your word, this magnificent chapter 15 in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're now embarking on it, Father. Help us to have our hearts attuned to the marvelous truth of the resurrection of Christ and of the rapture. In fact, that someday the body of Christ, the church, will also be, be raised in a resurrection body and be taken out of this earth to be with Christ forever. We also want to pray once again, Father, for all the members of our congregation, their needs, their difficulties. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, just a reminder, Bible study is on Thursday this week. It says 6.30. Make sure you, you note that. Um, rather than 7. So it's a virtual meeting. Hopefully it'll be virtuous too. But if you need a link, just email Mark Pomeroy. That's his email address. And uh, he'll be glad to set you up with that. Also, I want to mention that um, if any questions, you know, normally when we're, we're gathered together in the building... At the end of service, uh, in the past, I've invited people to come up and ask questions. Um, I'm not going to be doing that for a while. Maybe you want to get back just because of my health situation. But in any event, you can always email me. All right? I, I encourage you to do that today. If there's any questions you have about the message today, the gospel, or any other thing that's on your mind biblically, I can't tell you how many games the Dolphins are going to win. But you can email me at pastor at lbible.org. And just quickly, we rely on the grace gifts of people, of Christians who want to support the ministry of preaching the gospel and the word of God. And uh, as you prosper, the Lord will put it on your heart to support us, but also to other, other saints and other organizations. 
So we ask that you please keep that in mind and uh, give with a joyful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Father, we thank you once again for today. We know we get one day at a time. This is the day you have made. Help us to rejoice in it, no matter what our circumstances are. Amen.